Welcome to the Business Bookshelf, where I interview business authors and talk about their newly released books. Today, I interviewed Dr. Zena Such about her book she co-authored called Leading with Love and Laughter. Zena is an innovative and visionary leader in the area of education, executive development, diversity, and inclusion, with expertise in strategic planning, communication, and change management. So as I said, Zena is the co-author of Leading with Love and Laughter. Science tells us that humans are deeply wired for empathy and compassion, and that our emotional selves help us to make better decisions and motivate others. However, the tactics we use to train leaders bear little reflection on these advancements. We're still creating competent but emotionally distant leaders who manage human assets and lead by setting goals, deadlines, and deliverables. In seven succinct chapters, the authors show that people lead best when they tap into their genetically driven human nature to love and nurture, connect and trust. Leading with love and laughter offers powerful dividends, tighter teams, stronger performance, improved morale, greater trust, more creativity and even better health. So there we go. Something to look forward to. Enjoy the interview. Thank you so much, Lance. I so appreciate having an opportunity to talk with you today. Well, I've never asked this question with such an interesting answer, but where do I speak to you today? Where do I find you? <laughs> so it is an interesting question, and, and I'm going to give you a very interesting answer. I am in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay, and that is in the state of Maryland, uh, quite close to a lot of sailors might know of Annapolis, Maryland, which is um, considered a sailing capital of the world. So I am on the sailboat right now. We've got sails up and I just recently just sailed us under the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, which uh, folks from around this area might be familiar with, but it's a, a big bridge uh, connecting one part of Maryland with another part of Maryland. So that's where I am, the middle of the water. <laughs> that's awesome. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're near a computer, then I encourage you to go search for Zina Such Boat. And you'll find a YouTube video of her <laughs> sailing her boat. <laughs> Zena sailing her boat. Um, I want to ask you, yeah. Zena, because I, I heard and read that you spend most of your time on a boat. What is it like? Why did you decide to live on a boat? And what is it like living on a boat? So I think the passion grew um, when we were invited to get on a boat of friends of ours. And it was one of the most calming and peaceful experiences I ever had. And when we went out sailing and we stopped that motor and the wind was the only power we were using, we saw dolphins and I just felt this connection with nature and I felt uh -huh. this connection with water. And we just thought, hey, this is where we belong. And so we bought a sailboat and um, it was it, to get there to the sailboat from the home that we used to own uh, was about an hour and a half. And we just thought, you know, why don't we just live on the boat? And um, sure. so we packed up our stuff and moved on to the boat. That's amazing. And the modern day today, you can work from ever. As long as you've got an internet connection, you can work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I That's mean, it amazing. is high quarter. So, so you really have to like the person that you are living on a boat with. Um, this, the boat that we are on is a 40 foot boat. Um, wow. So some consider that to be just enough for um, two new sailors. And so we were, we're both new sailors. So it, it became the thing that really 
taught us a lot about ourselves and taught us a lot about um, the world around us and, and really connected us with people that do the same kind of thing. There's people call us rag haulers because we're, we depend on the sales to get us places. Wow. And I guess it learned you to love and you needed to have lots of laughter, which we'll get on to soon. But first, Zena, can you give us an overview of your career for the listeners? Sure. I started my career really in, um, in education. I was a classroom teacher and studied emotional and behavioral disorders. And I think my fascination was with the way in which people behave and how emotions and thought processes, the brain, the way the brain functions and takes in information and how that impacts human behavior. That led me to getting my PhD in that topic. Um, And while I was um, going to school at night, I I was raising two children and working full time. So that was, took me quite a while to get that PhD, took me about 10 years. And in that process, I learned a lot about um, human development, human behavior, moved into academia, uh, taught at various universities close by, and then moved to the federal government. And what I found was the federal government is one of the largest employers in the U.S. or is the largest employer. And I thought, wow, if I can impact the way that people behave in the workplace, um, that would really that would really give me some meaning to the work that I do a, a broader broader audience, a broader group of people. And so I teach part-time at American University. I teach in their leadership, executive leadership programs, the key executive leadership programs. And I work full-time for the federal government as a senior executive. Sure. And we're going to get onto your book now, but in South Africa, where I live, and I'm sure it's the same in the States, uh, I wish a lot of the government organizations had love and laughter. But that doesn't seem to be the case when you engage with them. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I loved your book. And the title of your book is called Leading with Love and Laughter. And we just to remind the listeners, we're speaking to Dr. Zena Such. Um, Zena, could you give us an overview of it and more importantly, the purpose of writing the book? Sure. We, in our teaching, when I teach um, senior executives, I had an opportunity to observe many, many leaders. And one of the things that Patrick Malone, um, my co-author and I discussed at length was what is that factor? What is, and we kept calling it the X factor that make leaders, some leaders, outstanding leaders, just people that everyone wants to work for, people that will follow this person from one you know, location to another. Um, You hear these leaders say, oh my gosh, you know, my employees, I'm leaving and my employees say, please take me with you. And we kept saying, what makes that leader? And some of the, the, you know, most um, prominent people we see have all these, you know, titles behind their names and they've gone through so many programs and leadership development and certifications. And, you know, they get different colored belts in, in, um, you know, leadership uh, stages of, of development. And they think, wow, I'm doing it. You know, I'm developing myself. I've got the credentials. I've gone through all of these, you know, prominent schools and have learned how to lead. And yet they still don't always have that following. They don't have people who want to work for them. And so one of the things we identified was even people who have a tremendous amount of um, experience and a tremendous amount of learned experience to knowledge, they, what they are missing is that human factor. And we call that human factor, just that, that innate 
need for connection and love and joy. And so we started out by saying, oh, it's love. It has to be love. And then we said, oh, well, it's not just love. It has to be joy as well. Wow. And so one of, yeah, one of my, um, and, and this is where I, I, it really touches me because one of my experiences with one of my leaders, I was struggling with somebody in my office and I approached my, my supervisor and I said to her, I'm really struggling. I can't seem to connect with this person. You know, everything I say rubs him the wrong way and things he says rub me the wrong And she said, are you approaching him with an open heart? And I think that's where in my mind, a seed was dropped that if I could open my heart to this person, maybe my relationship with this person would change. And it did. Mm. I, I had the same experience uh, this week, actually, because I always seem to, there seems to be a miscommunication with this one person at work and mostly from my side, I presume. Um, but we had we had something on Friday, like a social gathering, and I asked this person about their children, and they're relatively the same age as my children, and then we had something in common, and then we talked about it, and then hopefully that set us on the path to working better together, because now we've, I guess we've got more empathy and more understanding of each other's environment, and we've maybe connected a little bit, and so I fully understand, you know, what you're saying there for sure. Um, so, Zena, your first part of your book is titled Love, um, which is quite an interesting, I've never, you know, I, I think I've only read one book before about love, but you start your book mm -hmm. with love. And you write in the book, starting the first chapter in a book on leadership with the word love is risky business. Here, here, here comes those mushy soft skills again, exclamation mark. So maybe, I think you, you spoke about it a little in your overview of your book. But can you talk to us about what kind of love you're talking about? Because you're definitely not talking about erotic love or anything like that. What kind exactly. of love are you talking about? Sure. I, I mean, this is this is what we we hear the words love. Uh, for example, we might say, oh, I love that movie or I love that TV show or, you know, I love um, walking in the park. Or we, we even say, you know, we love our children. We love our family members. And what we started to do is take a look at how many different ways is love really used. And, and we focused on the Greeks because they identified seven different types of love. Um, and love from um, the philia love, which is like best friend love, pragma love, which is, you know, where two people might decide. I mean, you've even heard of marriages like this, where two people decide that they're going to just make it work regardless of what's missing with regard to passion or attraction, but we love each other enough to stay and make things work. Um, there is a storge, which is like sister or family love. And then there's a falausha, which is self-love. And so what we really identified is in order for a leader to be able to love those that they work with, we're talking about more of that, the philia love or, you know, or, and, the falausha, meaning you have to self-love. You have to love yourself enough to be able to say, you know, I'm a flawed human being, but I'm okay. I may make mistakes, but I'm okay. You can, you have to be able to love yourself enough to forgive yourself. And that kind of person is the kind of person that can have that love extended to those that they work with, with colleagues. So you, when you learn that you yourself and, and accept this about yourself, are not are, are not perfect. And those around you will not be perfect. But yet you understand that in yourself, you can 
apply that to those that you work with, those you work for, those that work for you. Um, and when you have that in the workplace, all everything changes. Uh, you 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 create a space where people people feel that caring. They feel this, this connection with you because you care. Um, you, you just gave an example of just asking questions uh, about that person, about the whole person, not just their work, not just what projects they're working on or what part of the organization they're in, but you know, so who are you? You know, who are you? Who is this whole person that is sitting here with me or standing there in my office or that I have to communicate with through email and calls and or video conferencing, which we've been doing a lot of. And that that is the kind of love we're talking. We're not talking with all of the, we're not talking about sexual love or that that high level of attraction that you walk into a bar of and course, you see somebody course. and you have that. <laughs> No, that's not the love we're talking about. Um, But just owning the fact that you can love yourself and then you can extend that kind of love to those around you. Mm. Um, I've recently changed, um, you know, roles and and changed companies. So I'm doing something almost completely new. And I constantly feel like out of my depth. And so I hope uh, my manager is looking, listening to this podcast and, and, and empathizing with me and understanding me <laughs> from a life perspective. Right. But I just want to ask you like a side tangent question. There must be a fine balance between understanding and having empathy and sort of recognizing the person and that person just not performing. So I suppose you, you need to know where the line is between non-performance and just someone who has sort of a, a bad self-image. It, correct. I, I think when you think about not poor performers, uh, you know, we have to assess, we have to assess, do they have the skills or is it an attitude issue or is it just a lack of joy in the job? And, you know, is it time to coach this person out or is it time to build some skills so that this person feels successful? But you can't do that if you have not genuinely exhibited a care a right. care and, and interest in this person. This person will not trust you. And the only way that has worked for those that are very successful leaders is by truly and genuinely caring about that individual, putting that individual and that individual's success and, and joy in the work and connection in the work to you and that trust is by focusing on being able to love that person. A lot of people will check the box. They will say, oh, I have talked with all my team members today, check the box. I have said, good morning, check the box. I have asked about their family members, check the box. Mm. But have you really, did you really care about their family members? Did you care about their vacation? Do you really have that interest? And can you tap into that in your deepest part of yourself? And that requires being vulnerable. It requires loving yourself enough to trust that you know, you can open yourself up to this feeling for another human being in the workplace, and that it's all going to be okay. Sure. And to think that 20 or 30 years ago, leaders were just telling people what to do. And now, now they've got to right. learn a lot more skills today. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And these are the these are the skills that what we see across, you know, pro- for-profit, non-profit, yeah. all sorts of organizations is... Do you have this kind of culture? And if you look at those that are coming out of school right now and those that are living in the environment that they're growing up in, um, the younger generations that are coming up, yeah. this is what they're looking for. If we want to attract that group of folks, if we want to attract the brightest and the best, we need to be able to connect 
on that level with with them. They're looking for purpose. They're looking to be cared for. They're looking to have meaningful work and be valued. And you can't exhibit that if you don't, if you can't love them for who they are and what they bring to that that space. Absolutely. Uh, so Zena, you mentioned in the answer before this one about connection and you know people working virtually and by themselves. And, and you have a section in the book about that. And I'd love to ask you to speak about that because you, you talk about a, a Dr. Fiona Bedos-Jones and she's the founder and CEO of the Cognitive Fitness Consultancy in England. And she yes. talks about how people are looking for connection and love uh, in the workplace. You know, can you tell us about that? Are people just more isolated and lonely than ever before? People are so much lonelier and isolated, but it's not necessarily because they work away from other people or isolated in their workspaces. Um, what they, what, what her findings have shown is that 65% of respondents to her surveys and her interviews felt that there was a lack of love in organizations. Mm. Uh, and here's another, here's some more statistics that came out of her studies. 96% of those interviewed said they would work harder in an organization where they felt genuinely cared for. And that's wow. the key word there, genuine, right? Mm -hmm. You can say, oh, I care about you. I, oh, I check in with you every day. I, I schedule that one-on-one -on -one meeting with you. How many of those have we had? But in that one-on-one, -on -one, what are, what really matters? And, and are you genuinely asking those important questions? Do you know this human being sitting in front of you or in the video screen? 70% believe that their general well-being at work would be enhanced if their organizational culture had more love. And we know when people feel well, when they feel well taken care of, that their general well-being is, is good, they perform better. They give you more. 83% um, propose that leaders and managers should be educated on how to love their staff. I mean, that's a hard thing to learn, right? Yeah. Um, but, but I don't think, and this is what my um, co-author and I, what Patrick and I talk about all the time. We say, you've already got this. You don't have to learn this. Every one of us deep inside knows what love feel like, feels like, you know, you know, when you feel loved and you know, when you can exude that love towards another human being, um, start with little puppies and kittens, you know, there's this feeling that comes over you. And, and you're falling for this little thing, you know, you know that feeling and that's what we're striving for. We're striving for that true, genuine, deep rooted human um, love that every single one of us knows. It's, it, the problem is we have layered so much on top of ourselves. It's almost like we've cocooned ourselves in all of these shoulds. I should not say this. I should not feel this. I should not do this. Here are the things I should do. I should check in with all, me, all my employees. I should find out and remember their names. I should make sure I schedule one-on-one -on -one meetings. I should hold staff meetings and encourage everyone to participate. These are the shoulds and we layer this on top of everything. And what we're saying is peel off those layers, tap into that deep feeling that you have, tap into your heart and bring that to the workplace. Mm. So Zena, just one more question on love and we'll get onto the second part of your book. Just to remind the listeners, we speak to, speaking to Dr. Zena Such and her book is Leading with Love and Laughter. 
Now, in your book, Zina, you, meant, you mentioned a whole lot of leaders um, who show love in the workplace. Could you just take us through one of them, like an example of a leader that you know or come across who sh has shown love and the benefits they found from it? Well, so um, we do talk about some love leaders we have, and I'll, I'll just mention one. Uh, most people think we're going to highlight one of the top 100 companies in the United States, right? A high performing yeah. company, like a, a well-known one. But what we believe is that most organizations, most companies out there are small and anyone across these small companies and large ones for that matter can be our love heroes. Um, Arthur DeMoulis, he was a CEO of a small chain of grocery stores in New England. He, he was a gentleman who people around him, all of his employees felt like he, they were loved. They felt like part of his family. He would know things that were happening to them. He would know when people were graduating high school or when a child just had a, you know, one of his employees became a grandparent or when one of his employees is celebrating a birthday. He met, he remembered all of these people's uh, outside of their work. He remembered them. He knew who they were. And, and, when you think about that kind of connection, the time that he spent getting to know the people that he hired, getting to know the people that worked below him, multiple levels below him, it mattered to them. And what happened was the board, the board that ran this, um, this small grocery chain decided that he was focusing too much on the people, that he was paying people too high of a salary. Uh, he ensured that everyone had full health coverage and dental coverage. He ensured they were getting paid above minimum wage so that they could live in the communities that these grocery stores were located. And the board said we could make more money and more profits and they let him go. And the entire community, all of the chain stores, all of the employees on their time off, they didn't walk out because they were not part of the union, but when they would get off their shifts, they would pick it in front of the stores asking for him to come back and when you and that's that thing I talked about earlier it's it's a person who others say I want to go and work for that person yeah. or I heard about you can I come if you have an opening let me know or if you leave let me go this is what we were seeing in in a small grocery chain yet people were willing to spend their discretionary energy their discretionary time picketing to have this man come back and this man not only not only did the grocery store chain people start picketing but the community started picketing and wow. they got the state and the local governments involved to resolve the conflict between the board and Arthur Demula so there's what we want to say is these you can find these leaders everywhere if you look for them um but we well we're saying is we need to see more of them um there's there there are a few of them that we can find and point to right now that we can say, oh, you know, this made it to the to the to the newspaper, you know, where where people are reading about them. But I think that if we look deep enough, we might find these leaders. But we need to we need to give them the credit for that they deserve as being loving leaders. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you, Zena. Oh, we all want to work for someone like that. I want to work for someone like that. Um, definitely. Now, moving on to the second part of your book, which is laughter, which I think is great. Love and laughter, two very important um, things to mention in a book. I love them. Uh, so now, yeah. 
I want to ask you different <laughs> questions about a laughter. I, I once worked for a multinational and I worked in a different city to the head office. And I remember flying up to attend a meeting uh, in that particular company's head office. And this company was extremely serious. I was lucky that I was working by myself, you know, virtually. And then I arrived at this company and was just dull. And like when I went... Some, when I made a joke almost, I got this really bad look for, by the manager in the corner and all that kind of stuff. So I just want to find out from you, what is the benefit of laughter? Because I think it's so important. And why should people laugh? It doesn't mean you take things less seriously or does it just raise the mood and the morale of the environment that you work in? Well, it- That's a great question. And we have that uh, coming at us all the time. People say, oh, it's unprofessional to be laughing in the workplace. And, um, you know, oh, it's kind of scary to tell jokes when I don't really tell jokes. And um, what if I'm crossing some lines? And and what we say is don't go out there and become a, you know, stand-up comedian. That's not what we talk about when we say laughter in the workplace. What we say is being able to laugh. It, it's really a response to some kind of humor. Um, it is a, a symphony of basically human physiology. Our brain recognizes the laughter. It starts to secrete serotonin. It starts to secrete um, oxytocin. It reduces our stress hormones. It really benefits the soul to, to laugh. Uh, we found that there are many studies that were done about how laughter can also reduce pain levels. Um, there we, we talk about some of the research with regard to how the body responds to laughter, that people who, if they were suffering from pain, chronic pain, when they would watch television shows that were humorous and made them laugh for 15 minutes, they could sleep for 30. There, there is all this research out there that shows this. Um, but we're not pro- we're not professing that everyone should go into the workplace and start laughing. What we are saying is, when you can be vulnerable enough to laugh at yourself or laugh at a situation, um, you have created a space where people will relax. And we know that people who are under a lot of stress make worse decisions. They are poor performers. They don't give you all of their energy. Their brains are focused on the stress that they're experiencing and a protection. We go into protection mode. And what we are saying is if we want the most out of our teams, if we want the most out of of our individuals that work with us, around us, for us, we need to create a safe place for them to be able to relax, let go, and be able to find the humorous sides of certain situations. Now, we also say, be careful. If you're not comfortable in laughing at yourself, start small, try something little, you know, talk about a failure you had and how you survived it, or do something little that allows the person next to you who might be joining you in a meeting where they obviously feel like they were not, they don't belong or, or I'll give you an example. I was coming to a meeting with one of my deputies and the person holding the meeting obviously was not prepared for me to bring my deputy. So my deputy walked in and we could see limited chairs, limited placemats, and my deputy, her body language changed. And I knew right away she felt stress of the situation. And when I pulled a chair over next to me and I sat her down, she still felt that stress. And I opened up my notebook and just for her, I put this big question mark. I put three question marks and then three letters. And I'll let you guess what those letters are. And 
she just kind of smirked and laughed a little and relaxed. And just a little sign of humor about the situation, just making somebody look at the situation and say, oh, you know, it's not as serious. I really don't need to stress about this. You know, my boss has me covered or my boss sees the humor in this, that somebody obviously was trying to limit access to this information or limit access to these meetings, you know, making the meeting something so important that deputies could not attend. And I lightened the load by just, you know, making question marks and and kind of doing like a ha ha. And it relaxed her. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming one through identifying a common situation or a common experience that we could find the the humor in. And that leads to those joyful workplaces where people can laugh with each other. They share stories about themselves, um, you know, how they handled something and maybe how they handled something poorly. It, It really taps into that vulnerable leader. And the other thing that we find is when you do have that laughter in the workplace, and especially if the leader is willing to be the one that begins that flavor, adds that flavor of joy to the workplace and kind of letting go and, and, and really allowing people to uh, reduce stress levels, it puts everyone on the same playing field. And that, of course, we find is going to increase team production, creativity, um, the outputs of your organization, individual performance, and organizational performance, ultimately. Mm. Mm. And so for both love and laughter, you spoke about the leader and you know that they need to learn more skills, new skills, they need to start small, they need to be vulnerable, and these kind of things. Could you give any advice uh, for a leader who wants to progress in this direction, who wants to change, wants to become vulnerable? Is there like a resource that they can use? How, how would you suggest that they go on you know, this, uh, this journey? So I think getting to, to know yourself first, really understanding what you as an individual are comfortable with. And that really is more about self-awareness. And, and we really believe any leader who keeps on that journey of self-awareness is going to be able to tap into their level of humor and where they're comfortable. Um, We we really don't want, and I've said this before, but I'm going to repeat it. We do not want stand-up comedians leading our organization. We also don't want laughter to be excluding certain groups, laughter and, and, um, you know, making fun of an individual or a group of individuals is is completely off limits. But what we're saying is find out what makes you as a human being laugh, tap into that, see and test out how comfortable you are with some of these experiences. We we talk about, you know, um, one one woman we know, she was perceived by her leader or her employees as being very uptight, uh, very focused on productivity, outputs. Um, Her meetings were usually very, very quiet where she would walk in and the room would quiet down. And she needed to break the ice because she felt like, you know what, she isn't that person, but she's perceived as that person. And she, she put on, it was, it was right around the the Halloween in, in the United States, you know, we celebrate Halloween and people wear costumes. And she put on a pair of Groucho Marx glasses and with the, with the nose and walked into the office and everyone 
just sighed. Everyone just laughed and sighed a, you know, a breath. And you could just tell that in that space, she did one little thing and it broke the ice. It gave people a perception of her that changed and it just changed slightly, but it said, you know, this woman can laugh at herself. This woman doesn't take herself so seriously. Maybe we could all just take a breath. Maybe this is an opening. So we're saying not everyone should wear Groucho Marx glasses or dress up <laughs> or, or anything, but do things that are a little bit out of character maybe for yourself that allow people to see you in a different light and open them up to being able to laugh with you about, about you. Mm. And I think that that's kind of, that's kind of um, the way that we, we ask you to, as a, as a person to try, we say try. I mean, I've shared stories of my children doing things and the interactions we've had, you know, I've shared stories of, you know, me walking into, into a room with the wrong presentation and beginning my presentation and the whole room wondering what I was talking about and how I ended up having to shift. And, you know, and I'm laughing at myself because we all make mistakes and, and finding that like ability to say, Hey, look at me, look what I did, you know, or it can only get better from here. You know, I, I really hit bottom or anything that allows people to see that there's humor in a situation that you don't take yourself so seriously, but basically get to know your own level of um, laughter. Where, where do you see it? How do you feel comfortable and try it out in, in baby steps? Just, just try out something new and different that can change that perception of you. Yes, absolutely. I remember when I, well, it's fairly recently, actually, when I started this new job, uh, I obviously want to make an impression and do as well as I could. Uh, and I, I started meetings to get right to the point and especially internal meetings, like, you know, let's, let's forget the, the small talk. Right. <laughs> I think my, yeah. the, the management had to say like, okay, Lance, you know, uh, this is probably not the way we do things. We need to, you know, maybe break the ice a little bit, do some small talk, you know, it's not all serious. It's not all like going from one point to the next. You know, let's let's uh, relax a little bit. Let's like, chill out. And and I, I suppose that that's something that maybe you're talking about in a small way is that you need to you need to be able to do your work properly and efficiently, but still have fun and enjoy it at the same time. <laughs> exactly, it is. And and I I what I you know have seen before is people will do icebreakers but they will do them to check that box and say, yeah. oh, yeah. you know, okay, let's, because it's the Olympics, let's, everybody's what your favorite Olympic team is. And then they just move on. And, and what, you know, what we have seen is that the genuine interest is not there. It, it, it's just checking that box. And anytime that you feel like, oh, I'm checking that box. Oh, I'm checking that box. Then, you know, you are doing what we're suggesting that you don't do. You are yeah. not genuinely yeah. caring about what people are watching or interested in with the Olympics. And any any um, icebreaker deserves more than just, you know, share with us your favorite song or share with us your favorite food, your favorite spicy food. And I've seen that happen. Um, but but people who will say, oh, let's make this, you know, the fun hat day. The next meeting, everybody has to wear your funniest hat. 
And then we all go around and talk about why this is the funniest hat, where did it come from, tell a story about it. You're engaging your teams and you're giving them that outlet, exactly what you're talking about, Lance. It's it's giving an outlet away from that day-to-day focus on performance, focus on what you have done, Uh, go around the room and give us an update on, or the status update on your project for the day. We're saying, you know, recognize that you have full human beings in front of you. And these human beings want to enjoy their job. And when they enjoy their job, um, when you got, when you had that stress level reduced, and especially now, people are afraid, people are scared. There's stuff happening around them that they are not in control of. So mm. if we can reduce that stress level and the, the cortisol hormones drop and, and the, all of the good hormones you know, increase, the oxytocin increases, and you feel just, you feel like you're in this space of love and you feel like you're in a space of joy, you're going to give more. You're going to give more in the workplace. You're going to give more to your teams. You're going to tap into that discretionary energy that you have, the discretionary time that you have. You're going to, people say, go above and beyond. Well, I'm going to go above and beyond for those people around me who make me feel that way, who make me feel connected to them, to the purpose of the organization, to the mission of the organization. But that doesn't happen if I'm just checking boxes and saying, but I, you know, we had a, we had, a, we had an icebreaker. I do that all the time. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, you do, but, but. <laughs> so. so yeah, absolutely. Um, Zena, I'm gonna let you get back to um, steering your ship. I hope it's not heading to rocks or anything like that, or your boat. No. Um, <laughs> but just before you leave. How can people follow you or can people contact you? I see you've started to potentially write, write articles for CEO World, CEO World magazine. Um, how can people find out more about you, your thinking and, and follow you? Um, if you just, I mean, I think nowadays you can just Google Zena Such, Patrick Malone. Um, but if you want to email us, you can uh, email Zena and Patrick at gmail.com. And we have a, a website now, and it's suchmalone.com. Um, okay. And so those are two different ways that you could reach us. And we're going to be posting our articles on the website and uh, our emails there as well. And we, we would love to hear from you. Um, and we would love to interact more with anyone who would like to hear more about the book. Great. So I'll have that link in the show notes suchmalone.com and then there's a contact form over there where people can contact you that's awesome thank you so much all right Zena thank you very very much it's been a pleasure absolute pleasure talking to you thank you so much for your time and just to remind everyone before you leave it's Dr. Zena Such and she co-authored a book called Leading with Love and Laughter I really really enjoyed it I encourage everyone to click on the link that's going to be in the show note which takes you to Amazon to buy the book um, and so thank you very, very much, Zina. I really appreciate it. And safe voyage. What, what do you say? Bon voyage or something? Yes. Yes. Bon voyage <laughs> is good. Ahoy. But thank you, Lance. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. And I hope you, the listener, have found that as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za or you can go onto my website, which is thebusinessbookshelfpodcast.com and you can find all the different interviews that I've done. There's always a wide range of subjects from this one to strategy to 
you know, all sorts of different skills and, and things that you can learn. And, and then obviously buy everyone's book as well. So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Zena and Zena Such. Until next time, goodbye.